Welcome to today's edition of the Shipper Rights Podcast with your host, Shipper Rights. Today, I'm joined by SB Nation radio host and personality, as well as broadcaster Jake Asman, who joins the Sugar Rights Podcast. What's going on, my man? How's it going? Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm here in Houston, Texas, where the weather's really nice and things are <laughs> open back up slowly. So just trying to make the best of what has been, I'm sure, a very difficult uh, yeah. few months for pretty much everyone with this pandemic. Oh, for sure. I mean, like I'm here in Boston, like it's just recently, like the weather started to like really get nice and warm and, and so forth. It's been, there has been days where there's been a spotty, like 80 degrees and whatnot, but it's, it hasn't been consistent uh, and so forth. So you definitely consider yourself to be one of the fortunate ones uh, weather-wise and whatnot. But how, how has everything been with you in terms of like the pandemic and how have you um, dealt with it so far up until this point? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm fortunate in the sense that I'm healthy. You know, my family's all from New York, so more concerned nice. about them than, you know, than, you know, I was concerned about myself. But, you know, just like every everyone else, washing my hands, trying to, you know, be as careful as possible when I'm out in public, you know, going to the grocery store, I'll wear, I'll wear a mask and whatnot. Yeah. But here in Houston, we haven't been ravaged by it compared to some other, you know, major hotspot cities. Okay. You know, Houston's the fourth most populated U.S. city, yet it never really got to a point where I think people were really fearful. It, there wasn't a huge outbreak like there was in some of these Northeastern cities. Yeah. And so and we were fortunate down here, things started to open up in the state of Texas as a whole about three weeks ago. That was phase one. Phase two actually kicked into motion today, which means basically wow. restaurants go from 25% capacity to now they're allowed up to 50. Gyms were allowed to open today for the first time since um, the stay at home order was originally initiated. So you know, I feel like we're on the right track here as a state. You know, testing is readily available now compared to other parts of the country. So I think for the most part, Texas has done a nice job, you know, handling a very difficult situation. And on a personal note, you know, up until, you know, today, I was one of the, you know, 30 plus, a million, uh, 30 plus million Americans that were out of work, unfortunately, because yeah. of the fallout from the virus. I'm very lucky that, you know, my employer, SB Nation Radio, uh, was able to bring me back after being on furlough for about six weeks. So you know, all things considered, I'm one of the lucky ones. There's no doubt. Absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned about like your, your stay being among those who um, like basically eased their way back into like phase two and so forth here in Massachusetts today was actually the first day that phase one has been initiated. And for me, it's like, okay, this is great. Like, because you, I mean, as you, as you could only imagine um, it's been a bit of a, suffocating feeling so to speak there's, there's there's really not much you can do and so forth and and like there's not a whole lot of things that are that are like opening up and so forth but today was like that first opportunity where it really did feel as if that um that like you know things are slowly opening up again and so forth which is which is great and i'm, I'm actually excited and speaking of um speaking of excited something you said that actually caught my attention and you you mentioned that you're from New York. I'm a, I'm a fellow I'm a native New Yorker myself. So I gotta ask you, what part of New York are you from? So I'm from uh, Long Island. I born and raised. Uh, <laughs> nice. Syosset, uh, New York, in uh, Nassau County. I went to Syosset High School. And, oh, uh, nice. I went to school in Ithaca, New York. So basically, up until I moved to Houston for my current job at SB Nation, um, I was living in New York basically my whole life, one way or another. Wow, that that's dope. I'm from New York City originally. I'm born and raised, and I'm like born in Manhattan, raised in Brooklyn. That's why you're a Yankee fan. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, 
man. Yeah, born and raised. Like it's 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 in the family, man. It's in the family for sure. And I mean that that hasn't changed. And I I, I will I will tell you this though, for just just for the sake of um, but just for good old um, sports talk um, take and so forth. Listen, if there's one positive for the city of Houston is that the Astros are kind of basically on the back burner and considering all things right now, considering what we all now know. So, but I'm, but I want to ask you, speaking of the Astros, when you first found out the punishment that was levied against the Houston Astros organization and as well in terms of its players and so forth and, and the apologies quote unquote that was given by Jim Crane, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve what were some of your thoughts and as well as your impressions on the apology and as well as the, on the punishment um, for, for, for what they had done? Well, the punishment itself, I, I just, I still can't get over the fact how little it was. I, I mean, you know, AJ Hinch gets suspended. Jeff Luno gets suspended. Great. But it was a player driven scheme in the words of the commissioner report yeah. and zero players were suspended. And I don't want to hear the argument from Rob Manford being like, well, we, couldn't suspend the players because you know we we granted them full immunity we, we would never be able to get the story if they didn't talk to me that's that's nonsense at least yeah. try you know if tony clark the union head of the players association is going to stop you from doing it at least try at least make an effort just to like punt on the idea of even trying to implement a punishment i thought was pretty weak and listen they got away with it because the reality is they didn't get their championship vacated if that title was vacated all of a sudden there was a tangible punishment yeah now you know uh, you know, baseball fans outside of the city of Houston are going to point to that title and say, oh, you cheated, doesn't ma- doesn't matter. But yeah. technically, in the, in, they still have a World Series championship, and it would have been even more damaging for Houston if they took away that title because that's their only one in franchise history. And you look at the other two championships the city of Houston has won, it came when the Rockets won their back-to-back titles, and those were the years that Jordan was playing baseball. So it was kind of yeah. like an accident <laughs> there where people are like, oh, yeah, the Rockets won, but, you know, Michael wasn't playing. Otherwise, he would have won both those. So – who knows what the real story is with the Rockets, but, you know, back to the Astros. Yeah, I thought the punishment was very weak, and I thought the apologies were even worse. You know, Jim Crane. And you know what's a shame in all this, too? For the most part, when the clubhouse opened that day of the press conference where Crane went up there and, you know, it just made a fool of himself, essentially, in front oh of everybody. Oh, my God, yeah. It was just yeah. so weak. Yeah. But when the clubhouse opened, the players did show remorse and did own up to it, and they were they were way more sympathetic and apologetic than they were up at that podium where Altuve and – Bregman read those, you know, pre-prepared statements that just, you know, made them sound awful. And then, you know, what Crane did, I I said this on the show and I said this here doing local radio in Houston, uh, it it was essentially like pouring gasoline on a fire. Like they didn't need to do that press conference. Just open the clubhouse to the media, let every player handle their business in front of the media. And that's it. Jim Crane didn't need to speak again because he already fired Jeff Luno. He already fired AJ Hinch. There was nothing more he needed to say. Instead, he made it a whole lot worse. And now, you know, the Astros are the most hated team in Major League Baseball. (laughs) <laughs> which which is um, astonishing when you think about the fact that the Astros are once upon a time, like you, even when you go back to 2017, they were viewed upon as the quote-unquote darlings of baseball, considering that here you have a team that was by and large part made of homegrown talent, drafted and developed it. You know, guys like Jose Atuve, George Springer, Alex um, Bregman. I mean, I mean, heck, even Dallas Keuchel um, and, and so forth. You know, these are like homegrown stars, as well as um, as well as um, Yuli, Yuli Gurriel and so forth. Yet, here we go. We find out a couple of years later that this was they orchestrated a cheating scheme that we have not seen 
in the likes of anything ever like this in, a, in Major League Baseball and even, dare I say, professional sports. And I was actually telling this um, to a good friend of mine uh, a little while back, and I'm, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on. I say that that scandal, which is died down considerably the pandemic and whatnot, was actually worse than what the Patriots actually did and so forth in, in, in many ways. And I, I'm, I'm ready to defend that that point of view and so forth. So, so I'll ask you, do you think what the Astros did in terms of how they orchestrated this cheating scandal, considering that it was on a daily basis, what do you think it was worse than what the Patriots did allegedly um, during um, Spygate and so forth? Well, you said Spygate, but I was going to follow up and be like, well, it depends what scandal you're talking about with the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, this was <laughs> Don't even get me started with the Patriots. You know, I'm talking to a lifelong Jeff fan here that's tortured by them uh, my entire life. But no, I mean, listen, I, I think there's no doubt the Astros scandal is way worse. I mean, you're talking about electronics being used for a full season. You know, knowing where, knowing what pitch is coming is about as big of an advantage as you can get in baseball. Oh, without question. And, and if you look at the stats, you know, from the Astros in 2017, you know, their walk and chase percentage were the were their walks were they walked more than any other team. They had the highest on base in, in baseball that year, and their chase percentage, basically pitches they swing at that are not strikes, was the lowest because they knew what was coming. So mm-hmm. it's such a massive advantage to have. When you're doing, you know, when you know what pitch is coming. So, yeah, it's way worse. I mean, they use the, the, the system in the playoffs. I don't want to hear from Carlos Correa, who I happen to like. I, I you know, I, I've met him a couple of times. I think he's a good guy. But I didn't like his, his explanation with, oh, it didn't even work in the playoffs when we tried to use it. Like, oh, anyone that's gosh. saying our thing is tainted, it didn't even work. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, once you do it once, you try to do it in the playoffs, all of a sudden it automatically becomes tainted. You can't try and defend you're cheating at the end of the day, yeah. you're still cheating and people are not going to defend you unless you're, you know, a shill Astro fan that, you know, lives and dies with the team. The average baseball fan doesn't want to hear it. So yeah, there's no doubt. This is probably the worst cheating scandal. I would say in the history of baseball, besides, you know, probably the black Sox scandal, yeah. because you know, that was a world series that was fixed. This wasn't quite that, but you, know, you get the point. They were using, you know, a camera installed in center field to decode signs in real time. That's about as bad as it gets. Oh, without question. And then, you, then you, you have you have moron baseball fans who have even gone as far as and I've seen this on Twitter where they said, but what about the Yankees? They 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 juiced up like in the nineties. I'm like, dude, that was major league baseball, you idiot. Like it wasn't, the steroid was, issue wasn't a Yankee only problem. Exactly. I and that's steroids, guys. I agree. So are we gonna go back and, and take away every championship with every guy that's ever used steroids? It's it's a totally different thing. And you've had so many major league players come out and say, I'd rather the guy on fa- – pitchers come out and say, I'd rather the guy I'm facing be on steroids than know what pitch I'm throwing. Exactly. I mean, listen, the steroid, the steroid issues in baseball are, are, are well known. And, but let's not act like the Yankees were the only team that had guys that were using roids. We can go through every World Series exactly. mm-hmm. in the last you know, 20-something years and find guys that were alleged to have been, you know, PED guys. I mean, yeah. I, I, the, 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 it's, it's apples and oranges when trying to compare the two. It really is. Like, yeah, and, and it, it really drove me off the wall when I see this. When I, when I saw this, I was just like, how can you possibly compare the two? And, 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 it, and the worst part was is that it, it came from Astro fans. And, and this, wasn't, this isn't a, um, a, like a, a bashing of the Astros on fest here, but, but it was just really one of the more maddening explanations that I would see from like the, from like the fans. I'm like, you, you really cannot defend this no matter how hard you try. You're going to, because the Astro fan feels like they've been unfairly picked on. Oh, New York and Boston get all the coverage. LA gets all the coverage. I I mean, living in Houston, I've seen it firsthand. A lot of Houstonians kind of have, 
you know, almost an inferiority complex with the other big cities because Houston is the fourth most populated U.S. city, but the coverage of the of the Houston teams is they they feel and some of it maybe is fair, some of it I think is a little overblown. It, it's not what it should be, you know, relative to a, a big size city. They think there's an East Coast or a West Coast bias when it comes to the coverage, but the reality is, you know, cheating is cheating, and what the Astros did was wrong. They deserved to be criticized, and I think you know the only thing. You know, I will take the side of the Astro fan on is, you know, how Alex Cora goes to Boston and they claim he had no idea what was going on with the Red Sox. I think that's a, a crock of I you thought know, I, Yeah, yeah. Alex it really Cora was. goes to Boston and, and didn't know <laughs> what the Red Sox were doing. I mean, you give me a break. So I'm with the Astro fans that are basically like, hey, we cheated. We know what we did was wrong, but you can't tell me the Red Sox cheated and all of a sudden all oh, the manager who was the ringleader and orchestrating the scandal in Houston wins a World Series with the Astros goes to Boston, they win a championship there in his first year as manager, and oh yeah, he has no idea what's going on with another team scandal. <laughs> no idea what was going on, of course. You talk about talk about um, being naive, or at least supposedly, but <laughs> I, I, one, thing I, one thing I'll ask you is, why do you think that the Astros' coverage in Houston isn't what it is in terms of, like, given, that, given the, the market size, as you mentioned, it's the fourth largest city, fourth um, most populated city in, in, in the United States, Versus like in New York or Boston or LA or or, or and, and so forth. Like, why do you think that is? Um, well, just I think maybe the, the location and whatnot. I mean, Houston's oil and gas. It's not like a you know a media market like New York is or Boston or LA. So I think that maybe is part of it. Um, I, you know, I just think I think you look at some of these other cities. Like, yeah, Houston's got the population, but you know, there's something about those major you know cities when it comes to like the there's sports teams that maybe it gets viewed differently. You look at the Texans, they've only been around since 2002. Yeah. That they were the Oilers. You know, the Astros really hadn't been good in a long time, too, up until this recent run. And the Rockets, you know, they won the back-to-back titles in the 90s. They've been relevant. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, you know, any, any one reason. I just know that, you know, that's kind of the feeling down here at times, that, like, oh, Houston gets, doesn't get treated, you know, like they, like they should, doesn't get covered fairly. And I think maybe some of that could be true to a certain extent. But – you know, at the same time, I, I, I think the way people have been crushing the Astros nationally has been fair. They got caught cheating, and they won a World Series. What did you expect people to be like, ah, it's okay. Let's, let's not make a big deal over it. Do you really <laughs> think anyone's going to be doing that? And I'll tell you what, I bet you every fan base, if they were in the Astro fans' shoes, would probably be doing the same thing. So I don't think this is just a Houston-only thing. I think every fan base would probably react the same way. One thing I'll ask you is this. You being in Houston, you have a pulse – on the Houston sports uh, media market in Houston. Now here in Boston, where in more ways the one that the, the coverage is, is purely intense. I mean, in terms of all four of its local teams, the Patriots, especially um, the, the Bruins, the Red Sox and the Celtics and so forth. What makes Houston, the city, and as well the fan bases of the local teams, say the Astros, the Rockets, um, and the Texans, so unique in its own way. Um, well, there's a lot of transplants down here. So sports radio in city in, in the city, radio, you know, ratings wise are a lot lower than they probably should for a city that has you know three pro teams, a bunch of stars in it. You look at the Texans; they have Deshaun Watson, they have JJ Watt, they obviously had you know DeAndre Hopkins and Jadavian Clowney. I mean, they've been in the playoffs, they've been relevant, they've been good. If you look at the Rockets; they obviously have James Harden and Russell Westbrook, two of the top ten players in the league. Mm. Before that, they had Harden and Chris Paul. Tracy McGrady played in this market. Yao Ming. So, you know, these Houston's had a bunch of stars, and we know about the stars that are on 
the present day Astros right now. Yeah. But I, I think part of it's because of the amount of transplants that are down here. There's a very popular Hispanic uh, population down here in Houston. Maybe their number one sport isn't any of those big three. They're into soccer or into other things that you know maybe aren't getting covered on a regular basis. So it's a very unique sports market. There's a lot of star power in the market. But, you know, you look at radio ratings, you look at interest in, in the teams here. You know, football's still king. People care about the Texans more than I would say anything else. Then I think it'd go Astros number two and Rockets number three. What about but college football? College football is big down here in Houston. I mean, University of Houston, when they're good, people seem to care. But there's a lot of people living in Houston that are, you know, A&M alums or Texas alums or went to Oklahoma or LSU. There's a huge contingent of people that went to LSU that live in Houston. So wow. it's, a, it's a very good college football market. You have an eclectic mix of different teams' fandoms. So, like, it mostly SEC and, and Big 12 um, fandoms, like, would you say? It's like Definitely. a mixture. Gotcha. So one thing, one thing that, that, that has me curious is you growing up in New York, especially in the New York metropolitan area in Long Island, what got you into sports? Like, what first captured your imagination as a sports fan? So I grew up, I mean, I, I used to just love watching games. I mean, I, I, you know, the Yankees were the first team I loved. I, I can remember, you know, just falling asleep with the radio on with, you know, Sterling and Waldman, you know, it, it, tucking it, me under the covers. I'd be falling asleep to that. Yeah. So, you know, baseball was my first love. Um, I, you know, I became a Nick fan. I became a fan of the Jets through my dad. My dad's a huge football fan, so he kind of got me into it. And then, you know, I'm from Long Island, so I, I grew up going to Islander games. So I was always just a big, wow. you know, sports fan you know, kind of growing up and whatnot. And then, you know, what really changed my career at such a young age is I grew up also listening to sports talk radio. Yeah, I'd listen to games, I'd watch games on TV, but I was always fascinated with, you know, turning on WFAN radio and hearing Mike and the yes. Mad or listening to ESPN 98.7 at the time mm -hmm. it was 10.50 a.m. and yep. listening you know, to the Michael K. show. So I, as much as I loved sports, I also loved the idea of like listening to hosts be paid to talk about sports. And I was really lucky that my high school, so I asked at high school in Long Island, they were one of, I think, three or four uh, high schools on Long Island that had a radio station. So the high school had a radio station in its basement. It was on like 88.5 FM. You could wow. barely get the signal out of the high school, but it was a real <laughs> station and yeah. it was real experience. So, you know, since I've been a ninth grader in high school, I've been on the radio. So, you know, when a lot of people go to college, that's maybe their first taste of getting college radio or they go to, you know, a broadcasting school to get their experience. I came into college with four years of, of radio experience and I knew for a very long time already that this is a passion of mine and I wanted to do something uh, sports via and I kind of honed in on radio um, through college, but you know, I, I could write, I could do different types of um, you know, media skills, whether it be on camera or, you know, just, I want to be a versatile broadcaster, you know, right. Yeah. You know, my day job is you know, host a sports talk show, but I consider myself, you know, a versatile broadcaster. And I kind of just fell in love at a young age for, you know, the passion for it all. And it's, it's worked out so far. I hope to continue. I hope to keep the career going here. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, like also growing up in New York, you mentioned like I'm growing up listening to sports talk radio for me, like the first time I remember listening to sports talk radio, I, I, it was, it was the fan without question. It was Mike and the bad dog. It's just like, I think 2000, yeah, it was 2004, summer of 04. And I vividly remember like, that summer, like with, you know, like the, the Yankees and 
know, the Yankees and Red Sox being like in just in this intense race for the AL East. And we all know what happened that October, but that really was like my first introduction to like sports talk radio. And then like a short time after that, switched over to, to 1050 ESPN radio before, as you mentioned, become, before it became 98.7. Interesting story though. I actually interned at 98.7 ESPN in the fall of 2015. Wow, before they got rid of their intern program, you made the cut. <laughs> If I, if I knew that then, I mean, wow. I mean, but, but no, like I really, um, that, that I I told the program director, um, Justin Craig at the time, who's now with the national, at the national network ESPN radio that like that, that changed my life without question. Cause like one of the great things that I, that I enjoy doing was I worked afternoon and evenings, you know, like working, um, like sometimes I would primarily work with like, like during a seven o'clock hour, like when it used to be, um, if I remember correctly, I believe Dave Rothenberg on Rothenberg. Yeah, it was Rothenberg at that on Rothenberg, I believe, at that time. Yeah, um, but then like 10 o'clock, I know I would work mostly with Larry Hardesty of ESPN New York tonight and so forth. And um, it was just, it, I mean, even just talking about it now, it's just been like a plethora of like just memories. And but that was like really my first professional like exposure, like wow okay, this is, this is the real deal. This is, this is the environment and so forth. And the demands that come with it and so forth. It was just one of those experiences that you could attest to it where it just, all it did, it just added fuel to the fire, so to speak. And it, it's, it's really, it's, a, it's amazing how far, um, how far it could take you. And, and speaking of 9870 SPN, um, there was a video that you had pinned on your profile. And I want you to talk about that experience in particular in which that Michael K gave you, a, gave you a shout out um, on the Michael K show, which airs on ESP, uh, 9870 ESPN as well as simulcast on across the nation on the yes network. When he talked about you during the, during, during the, the Astros um, sc- scandal and the revelation that came out shortly after, what was that moment like to you and how much did it mean to you for him to acknowledge you, especially on, on, on his radio show, given the market that he's in and as well as obviously his, stat, his stat, status in the, in the sports media world. Yeah, that was, uh, that was awesome. I mean, that was, uh, I, I, I was, you know, just, you know, on cloud nine when I saw, <laughs> uh, you know, that he, he talked about me on the show. It's funny. I, I so I used to do afternoons on SB Nation Radio before I got furloughed, and I used to always drive into work and I'd listen to to Michael and Peter Rosenberg, who's co-host on the show, as you yep. know, asked him, you know, what do you think people in Houston are saying right now about the Astros? And I, I've had a relationship with Michael in the past. I've met him in a couple of Super Bowl radio rows. You know, he nice. came on my show. I'll tell you a Michael K. Short story real quick. Yeah, go ahead. He yeah. came on my radio show when I was a senior at Ithaca College. We were lucky enough to take our show to the Super Bowl radio row in Houston. This was Super Bowl 51. So this was the wow. Patriots Falcons. Yep, 28-3, yep. So, I, you know, we went up to Michael K., me and my co-hosts, and we asked him to come on, introduced ourselves. I had met him, actually, at a couple, like, station remotes. Like, I am a Michael K. show, like, junkie. Like, that that's the show I love <laughs> more than anything. To this day, I still listen to the show all the time. I'll listen back to the podcast if, if you know, I can't catch it live and whatnot. So I normally listen – to Michael show driving into work and I've had this relationship with him because you know he's met me in Houston before and you know when the when the Yankees were playing the Astros I'd always go to those games stop by the booth and say hello so you know we we have a relationship he's always been very nice to me 
and you know it means a ton because like that as I said like that's that's my uh that's my guy like that's my you know I, I don't think I'm in this business if I didn't grow up listening to you know Michael and Don every day on the radio so yeah. you know I, I, you know, Peter asked Michael the question about, well, what do you think people in Houston are saying? So I'm like, well, I can provide this perspective. I'm a New Yorker that happens to be covering the Astros locally for ESPN 97.5 and SB Nation Radio. So I typed them up an email on kind of what the consensus has been, how some are, you know, calling out the Astros, some are trying to defend it, being like, oh, everyone's doing it. And he read the email, you know, on the air. I was on the air during my show at the time when he read it. So I didn't know that he read it on the air. All of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up. All these people are texting me, dude, Michael K just talked about you on the show. He said, <laughs> he said, you're going to be a star and then read your email. And I'm like, wow, like, this is crazy. So um, I asked, uh, you know, back after this on Twitter, who's been a longtime Twitter follower of mine. I, you know, I was one of his first followers when he was blowing up because, wow. uh, you know, I'm a, you know, Mike Francesa junkie too. So I loved like kind of seeing the clips he'd post. Yeah. So I DM'd Funhouse and I said, hey, man, I, I was told around 515 Eastern today. Kay mentioned my name. Is there any chance you could you know, grab the audio clip? I was on the air. I didn't get a chance to see it. And he pulled it for me, and then I tweeted it out, thanking Michael Kay. And, you know, that's where you saw, you know, that pinned tweet. But that, that was just a surreal moment because I, I can't, you know, emphasize enough how great of a guy that Michael is. And Don, too, and Peter. I've met them all. I saw Peter a couple, uh, you know, months back at the Wilder Fury fight. He was doing the Kay show from Wilder Fury in Vegas, and I got a chance to catch up with him. And um, those guys are great. I think they have the Absolutely. best local radio show in the country. I, I think what they've done, how innovative they've been, even during this pandemic with some of the different benchmark segments they've come up with has been awesome. So, you know, it, it meant a ton because Michael is definitely someone that, uh, you know, I aspire to have a career like at some point. I'm, I'm not going to be the play-by-play voice of the Yankees, but I'd love to, you know, be doing radio in New York City at some point in my career. So it meant a ton that he said that he's one of the nicest people I've come across in the business. Absolutely. And I, I've had the opportunity to, um, uh, to, to intern that, that entire fall of 2015. And that entire fall of 2015 was incredible in New York on, on so many levels, both personally and as well professionally, because it coincided with the Mets run to the World Series that, that fall, if you may remember. And I, I remember, you know, like having the opportunity to like stand in the, in, in the studio and just observe like guys like Andrew Gutling, who's now the producer for the Michael K show. And whatnot, and, and RJ RJ um, RJ um, Santillo, um, who, who I who, who I still like, I remember from from back then, as well as Ray Santiago, and so forth. And I remember just how cordial. I actually remember the very first time I met him in person. It was actually the 2009 ALCS at the dugout. He he had um he had done his radio show that day at the dugout across from the new Yankee stadium on um, back in New York. And I remember just shaking his hand and it was like, I was like, Oh my God, like this, this is like, this is like the voice of the Yankees. And it, it's amazing. Six years later, never would have imagined this in my wildest dreams, honestly speaking, he came into the studio because at the station at 9870 SPN there, um, there's, there's multiple studios. There's the studio that's specifically for the Michael K show. Yeah. You know, and, I actually, I, I've been to the station cause I, I interviewed for a producer job there before oh, nice. I here at SB, SB nation radio. And they basically, I mean, um, the program director is Ryan Hurley now. Who I know, to- I, I know him well. Yes. So Ryan was basically like, you know, we could hire you, but like you want to be on air. So you're going to leave when you get an on air job. So I understood why. I didn't get it. He was right. About two months later, I got, I moved to Houston. So, but yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And the first time he came in, 
and this is when I was like being introduced as, as the new intern at the station. And I'll never forget this. And, 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 and I said, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Mr. K he said, no, please, please, please come, please call me Michael. And I said, I just do it out of, out of respect. And he, he couldn't have been more like nicer, like, like to, like towards me and so forth as well, especially Donald Greco being the huge hockey man that he is, especially being the, the, the backup voice of the, of the New York Rangers on, on, on 987 ESPN and, and Peter Rosenberg and so forth. Like just that experience, like it just brings back so many positive vibes and memories of of the, having that first experience and so forth. But speaking of your speaking of your experience, um, take us back to when you first found out about the opportunity with SB Nation Radio. Like, what was the experience like at first? Um, you saw the opportunity, you you applied. The feeling of when you first got that email, that phone call, and walk us back through that process and what and what that was like for you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, my first year out of college, I was hosting a morning show on an internet station. At the time, it was called Sports on the Go One Radio, oh, and wow. I was working part time as a producer at WFAN and, and CBS Sports Radio. So, I was doing kind of two gigs. The, the The morning show I was doing at Sports on the Go One was basically, you know, for my tape, getting reps every day, New York centric sports talk show Monday through Friday. It was great and it allowed me to build up a demo tape and continue to have fresh audio to send out, you know, to program directors who would hopefully hire me. And the feedback was really good. It was just, hey, we don't have anything right now, like stay in touch. So I kept doing that, you know, for basically a year. And mm. while I was also working part time at the fan, which was, you know, you talked about your experience at ESPN, you know, 98.7, my experience, yeah. you know, getting to work at WFAN and be a board op and actually, you know, work with Evan Roberts or John Dostremski or, you know, the great Tony yeah. Page. You know, that was, you know, such a thrill for me to like, you know, cue up the 2020 sports flash after like I used to fall asleep with this on in the background. Wow. So <laughs> I, that, was, that was basically my first year out of college. And, you know, while I was doing both those jobs, I was applying and sending cold emails out to anyone that would, you know, take the email and respond. So I, I had emailed my now boss, my program director at SB Nation Radio and sent him my tape and said, hey, any feedback would be appreciated. And out of all the emails I sent, he was the only one that just called me and he wanted to talk on the phone and, 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 and see, you know, what I was all about. He, he looked at my resume and he goes, oh, wow, this really stands out to me. I wanted to call you. You know, we might have a weekend host position open and some fill-in. You'd have a set show Saturday, Sunday. We'd use you in the rotation during the week if someone's out sick or on vacation. And, you know, SB Nation Radio is owned by a company called Gal Media. They're a small business. They also own ESPN um, uh, 97.5 and 97.5 is basically ESPN Houston, just like, you know, 98.7 in New York is yeah, ESPN New York. So New York. local uh, Houston affiliate here for ESPN radio. So they own the national station SB nation and they own uh, ESPN Houston. So it, in addition to doing some stuff at SB nation there, the opportunity would be, well, you'd also cover the Texans for the station. We send you out to training camp and the practices, you get audio, go in the locker room and send it back and we'll play it on the shows. And, you know, if we need a Texans-related correspondent, you'll be the guest. So I did that basically my first year when I when I moved down here, and you know it, it kind of went you know from there where I you know my my boss called me, you know we talked for about a couple we talked for a few weeks about a potential position opening up. Once he got the 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 clearance to actually make the hire, um, I probably knew I was moving to Houston you know around mid to late June, and I think it was July 12th, July 13th. 2018 I moved officially to Houston and I've been here ever since and, and, that, and that's a really an amazing um like story um and, and, and some of the things that you that you mentioned that that really stood out to me especially you talk about like emailing program directors and so forth just you know like being persistent in in that regard and just and just um 
doing with with that process. Just explain briefly, like how important is it for any prospective uh, radio personality to be consistent and persistent in, in sending emails out to program directors to gauge to gauge their interest and and even to um seek um professional on air person um opportunities and so forth. Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I get asked this question a lot, you know, by younger broadcasters. And, you know, my my response is always, you know, be persistent, you know, try and develop relationships with people, try and, you know, send your audio out to as many people as possible. And if they if that person doesn't get back to you, that's okay. You know, the ones who do become contacts and people you could stay in touch with and update every couple months on what's going on with you. And you know, I also always tell people that, you know, if someone doesn't answer you one time, don't maybe give up on it, you know, check back in a couple of weeks, maybe they're busy, maybe they just forgot, you know, the reality is everyone's so busy with their lives, maybe not so much now, but, you know, people normally yeah, are very busy with their lives that, you know, sometimes people just don't get back to you. And it's not personal, it just kind of happens. You know, I've been guilty of that too, at times when, you know, I get emails about certain things, and, you know, I'm not as quick responding as I should be. So it's human nature. So I always tell people to be diligent, follow up, be respectful. But, you know, you got to put yourself out there because, you know, in radio, especially, you don't just get a job. Like no one just hands you your show, right? You got to build a tape. You got to build an audience. You got to be comfortable in front of the mic or in front of a camera and behind the mic, I guess is the term. So, yeah, yeah I always tell people, you know, to, to reach out and, and, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there, ask for feedback, ask for criticism and, you know, use all that to help you get better as a talk show host that you want to be on the radio. Or if you're a TV personality, you know, reach out to people in the industry and ask for, a critique and feedback and then, you know, apply, you know, some of the suggestions and, and that that's how you get better as a broadcaster. So I've always tried to be um, you know, coachable and I've always tried to kind of, you know, reach out to people to, you know, pick their brains and obviously just build context up and that, and that's super helpful um, when you're trying to work in sports media. How has the experience been like for you living in Houston as compared to like living in the New York Metro area? Well, the weather's a lot nicer down here. I tell you that much. <laughs> I, I love Houston. You know, it's funny. I, I get asked that a lot as well. And, and you know, New York's always going to be my hometown. You know, my, my goal is eventually to move back to, to New York City and do radio or TV or just do something in, in the sports media space there because yeah. you know, that's where my friends and family are. But Houston's now, you know, a, a home to me as well. I mean, I've lived here for almost two years. People are, are so friendly. There's great restaurants. There's great things to do at night, plenty of bars. Um, I mean, it's, it's just beautiful down here. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. You know, when we get to June, July, August, September, the heat is just brutal. But really, you know, the trade-off <laughs> is when you get to, uh, you know, December and January and I'm getting to wear shorts and a t-shirt outside, it's pretty nice to not have to deal with, you know, snow and whatnot. So you take the good with the bad, but Houston's a great city. I, I've loved living here. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like LA. I lived in LA for about five months when I was in college doing oh. an internship. Um, for a semester at Fox Sports Radio, LA is very spread out. And Houston is, is kind of like LA in a sense that there really isn't a public transportation, just like LA. And it's very, very spread out. So it's a huge city, but you don't really feel like you're on top of people. Like the area I live is like a major part of the city. Although when I go into my neighborhood, it feels like I'm in a suburb. So you wouldn't even know that you're in a major US city. So mm. I, I love the, the landscape of Houston and uh, it, it's been awesome living here. It's definitely a lot different than New York City. And certainly a lot different than Long Island, but it's a, it's a great place to be. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that you know, my first full-time job in my broadcasting career is in a great city like Houston. What advice would you give to anyone who may have any trepidations of moving away from what, from where and what they're most comfortable with? Because I, I could speak from my own experience that 
when I moved here to Boston, I knew that I was moving here with a purpose and for a reason. And that reason was to start my broadcasting career, which fortunately I've been able to do so far. But for those who may, who may not have that strength to do, to make that such a move, what advice would you share would you share with um, such pro- prospective broadcasters? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not for everyone. Like, I totally get someone that's kind of you know apprehensive to moving to for uh, for a job and whatnot. I- I'll say this though: if you want to work in sports media, you know, unless you're you know the one percent of the one percent, I'd say mm. there's a very good chance you're going to have to move at some point in your career. I mean, most people don't just you know, you know, just graduate college and up oh, they're on the air in New York city. Like that, you know, that, yeah, that's rare. <laughs> but that doesn't just happen as you know. So, mm-hmm. you no, know, I, I think most sports media people, whether it's print or it's TV people or radio people, I think everyone's understanding that, Hey, you know, you change are you got to move to a different market and, you know, you see this with TV reporting and TV anchoring all the time. You know, I have friends that live all over the country that are local sports reporters in, you know, Iowa or Jacksonville, Florida or Pittsburgh or Buffalo. I have a friend that's in Elmira. I have a friend that's in, you know, Champaign, uh, Illinois. Like there, there are just people I know. My my friend Jake Siegel, really good sportscaster. He's now in West Virginia. His first job out of college, he went to Alaska for a gig. I have a friend that's in Hawaii doing local news. So, you know, you have to, if you want to work in sports media, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, which a lot of times means, you know, moving up and, you know, chasing your dream. And the time to do it is when you're young. If you're someone trying yes. to break into the business, it's way easier to move when you don't have a mortgage and kids and a wife, right? If you're a single guy out of college or a single girl, you know, there, there's opportunities for you to, to uproot your life and move because you're just making that decision for you. You're not making that decision for a family or a wife and kids and, and all that, you know. Uh, I, I'm a bachelor for life, as I always like to tell people. <laughs> But being a single guy myself, I I, un- I understand. Like when I made the decision to move to Boston um, through almost three and a half years ago now, I did it for me because, because, because the way I saw it was when I first visited Boston, and I'll never forget this, and this was this is forever going to be part of my story, how I ended up here in Boston. I never forget how different the city, the city is. And it was just like, there's something different. And being and us, both of us being native New Yorkers, like we know how New York is. And I had like, there's a certain, certain vibe, a certain um, mantra that, that New Yorkers have, especially in the, in the New York media market. But Boston, there was something very unique and different about it. I, and, and the first time I came here, I was like, I just don't know what it is, but I made a vow to myself that it was just May of 2014. I made a vow to myself. I said, you know, I want to, I'm going to come back. And little did I know it little, like I came back again, but it began a process of coming back to visit Boston over and over again. But I got to know the Boston media market and the Boston sports fans on, 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 a, on a bit of a intimate level, if you will. And it helped me get a really a big understanding as to what makes this, this city in particular so special as to how and why I ended up deciding to move here for, 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 for like long-term. And, and even now when I think about it, it was just like, wow. Um, I spent roughly two and a half years researching, just coming here, visiting, you know, talking to people and so forth. And when I made, when I made that move, and I was 25 when I made that move, I'm, I'm now 28. And, I remember thinking for a 25 year old, this is, this is a pretty big move. 
And I and, and you can attest to making that move when, when you left New York to come to move down to Houston and so forth. And and it's and just just for pure conversation's sake, you had the cojones, so to speak, to to make to make such a move and 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 and, and I myself as well. And I gotta tell you, for for people who are in our age group, it's definitely a trait to be admired, and I respect that because I know that's that's not easy because I've gone through it and you went through it. Yeah, it's 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 tough moving, but you know at the same time I knew, I, you know, I, you know, I, I guess it's because I, I knew for a long time that I was likely gonna have to move. It didn't really phase me as much as maybe yeah. it would for somebody else, but I, you know, I I just followed other people's careers that were in front of me growing up, and I knew that hey, you go somewhere else and then you work your way back. You know, we we talked about guys that. ESPN in New York earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, you look at Don LaGreca's career path and all the jobs he worked and, you know, he was, you know, running sports phone back in the day and then he was at FAN for a while. And then he got his chance at, at 1050 and worked his way up to being Michael's co-host on the afternoon show. And, you know, you look at a guy like Dave Rothenberg, Dave was in North Carolina doing radio for a long time. And then he came back to New York mm-hmm. city. So you look at a guy like John Dostremski in New York, he, he won a contest to, to be on WFN and worked his way to a full-time role um you know doing the overnight show so yeah. i i kind of just looked at you know the people in in new york radio and just people in the in the media in new york and you know i realized i was gonna have to move so um it was a big jump but you know a lot of times people are moving to you know a really small city in like butte montana or something like that <laughs> you know yeah. i was very patient with my job approach my first year at school and i worked really hard to put myself in a position where you know my first job is in a great city like houston texas yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting? About several episodes back on, on, on the Sugar Rights Podcast, I had um, someone you might you might be familiar with, Dave Sims, who's the television on play-by-play voice of the Seattle Mariners on. Sure. Dave used to be on WFN back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And look and look where he is now, the television voice of the Seattle Mariners. And it and as you mentioned, it's I think that itself was like the great example of, oh my God, like, this is a guy that I actually know and have a relationship with. And he talked about it on, on, on that episode, like, okay, like, you, you were at WFAN back in the day. How did you, like, go, go from there to um, transitioning into play-by-play and as well as now being a, um, the singular voice of a, of, a, of a major league franchise? It's one of those things where, where like, for someone who is, for, as you say, he made the switch and as well as made the, the trek cross country as well, being a Philadelphia guy. So I just think that that's like a great example as, as what you alluded to, um, you know, following the careers of people that you, that you look up to and so forth. Yeah, I mean, there's no – and the medium's always changing. Like, there's no mm-hmm. right or wrong way to go about it. I always just – goes, you know, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. You know, you got to create your own path. you got to build your own uh, relationships and connections. Like, it's not – you know – trying to break into sports media is not as simple as just you apply for a job online and hope you hear something back. It just, it doesn't work that way. You know, you have to, you have to go above and beyond. Like you can apply online, but then try and contact the person that you think might be running the search. Or if you know someone at the station can they put in a good work and they forward your resume to somebody. Mm-hmm. And these are all just examples of, of different tactics that people have done to try and break in. Cause that's the biggest thing. I mean, breaking in is, is so hard in, in pretty much every job field I'd imagine. But I think, you know, just speaking to, you know, the sports media perspective, it's especially tough in, in sports media. It's so competitive. There's so many people that want to do it. So you just have to, you know, find your, your niche and find your way to break in. And then when, you know, someone gives you an opportunity, the door's cracked open a little bit, knock it down and, and do your best to, to make your mark. And last question I'll ask before, um, before I wrap up the, the podcast. 
currently there's no there's no fans i mean this was pro sports hasn't fully returned yet but we've seen it on an international level um and so forth with korean baseball and one of the leagues for the um uh, for the soccer league in Europe, in, in Germany, and, and so forth. And you saw with NASCAR this past, actually, yes, was it yesterday? I believe it was? Yeah, yesterday, where they returned out um, to the racing um, down in Darlington and so forth. What do you think will happen in terms of sports moving forward in terms of not having fans in the stands and how it, it will impact all of the sports leagues professionally in terms of the, the bottom line and as well as the um the, the, the sheer impact on each individual leagues and so forth. I mean, revenue wise, clearly all these leagues are going to take a huge hit if there's no fans in the stands. But mm-hmm. it's better than not having any games to be played, right? So we're going to have to get adjusted to the new normal for a while. I don't think there's going to be fans in the stands at all yeah, in any sure. major sport for a long time. Probably, you know, not till there's a vaccine. I would imagine at some point, yeah. maybe, maybe towards the end of the year. Um, we can see a spot where, you know, baseball comes back in July. Maybe by the playoffs, we could have some fans in the building socially distance out. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it seems like it's changing every day. Felt like it was like a week ago, California was talking about no sports till 2021. And now, you know, their governor earlier today came out and said, oh, sports fully allowed to operate in our state. Oh, come on down yeah. nope, without fans. So I don't really know where this thing is going. I do know <laughs> that we're going to have to adjust to life. Um, without fans being in the stands. And it will, it will feel weird at first, but then eventually we'll get used to it. You make the best of it. And, you know, it's, it's going to be nice to have sports back in our lives on a daily basis because, you know, I speak as a sports fan, but I also speak as someone in sports media that has, has seen a lot of coworkers of mine lose their jobs because of this pandemic, has seen people, you know, industry-wide take pay cuts, industry-wide be on furlough like I was for six weeks. So, you know, sports coming back means – that we're headed towards normalcy. Sports coming back means jobs are created again for people. And it means advertising revenue is potentially available again for a lot of people to spend some money on stuff. So, you know, that's all good for the economy, which is what I'm rooting for more than anything else right now. Absolutely. And it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed um, talking with you in great links uh, about our backgrounds and, and, and listening to your story and as well as, you know, like, like hearing about your career um, and how it uh, took you from from New York to down down to Houston. It's been an absolute thrill and a pleasure to have you on the, uh, the podcast, Jake. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. And uh, this was a lot of fun. And, you know, best of luck to you. Hopefully, uh, you know, we got a baseball season being played. So you can watch up close the Yankees hopefully coming to Boston and uh, beat the Red Sox a bunch this year. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thank you. Right, take it easy. Have a good one, man. That was you fun. Too. Thank you so much, man. My pleasure. You got it. Talk to you soon. So is this going to be posted?